came out with sets of numbers and I plotted them on pieces of paper. Radio waves, radio waves. She sees radio waves, radio waves. Astrophys brings the news, arrays and dishes get different views. Are you confused? Radio waves, radio waves, radio waves, she sees radio waves, she sees radio waves. Welcome to the Astrophys Podcasts. My name is Brendan O'Brien and today is Tuesday the 1st of June. 2021. We always include a community service announcement asking you to wash your hands regularly, wear a mask if you can't socially distance effectively, and isolate as much as possible, and as soon as you can, to protect yourself and your community, get that COVID-19 vaccination as we work our way through this global crisis. We also ask you to influence your local politicians with the message that we need to change our energy policies to move to renewable energy to mitigate climate change. Each month we bring you two fabulous episodes. On the first of each month, you'll get to hear Dr. Ian Astroblog Musgrave bring you his monthly sky guide, an astro treat for naked eye observers, telescopers and astrophotographers, and he always includes a tangent of astronomical wonder. In the middle of each month, we'll give you an interview with a noted astrophysicist, astronomer, astrophotographer, space scientist, or particle physicist. So we zoom over to Adelaide in Australia now to get the June Sky Guide from Dr. Ian. Enjoy! Hello, Ian. Hello, Brendan. Great to be speaking with you again, Ian. Can you tell us what's up in the sky for the month of June? As you've said, this month's sky guide is for June. Once again, let's start with what's happening with the moon. June the 2nd is the last quarter moon. June 8th is a new moon. It's a very good time to go out watching the stars and the constellations. June 18 is first quarter moon, and June 25 is the full moon. Apogee, when the moon's furthest away from the Earth, is on June 8, and perigee, when the moon is closest, is June 23. Effectively, this means the June 25 full moon just scrapes in as a perigee moon, and so we could technically call it a supermoon, as much as I loathe that word. But it's nowhere near as good as the April and May ones. So, having said that, let's now move on to what we're seeing in the evening sky. Venus is now very visible in the evening sky, and you can see it easily 30 minutes after sunset. Now, I've been going out, and I can see it as early as 15 minutes after sunset, but by 30 minutes, it's really quite obvious, and it's a decent height above the horizon. So, as June goes on, Venus begins to dominate the early evening twilight more and more, and a nice highlight in the early part of June is on the 12th when it's a mere two finger widths from the crescent moon. So that will be a lovely sight to see in the early evening twilight. 
And so by the end of the month, uh, Venus is easily visible an hour after sunset. Of course, if you're lucky and you're like me, you have a level unobstructed uh, western horizon, such as the ocean, you can see it for at least an hour and a half after sunset, even glowing through the horizon murk. Very good. Then Earth is at solstice on the 21st, where the daylight hours in the southern hemisphere are shortest. So this is an ideal time to get out to, and for watching the stars, when you'll have the most amount of dark to watch stars and the planets. Mars is still hanging in there. It's been scraping the horizon for uh, some time now, but it's still visible lower than Earth's northwest sky and still visible an hour and a half after sunset when the sky is fully dark. Despite having being visibly faded, its uh, orange colour still allows it to be identified easily. Now, on the 1st, Mars is forming a line with the bright stars, Castor and Pollux of Gemini. Mars stays in Gemini for a bit uh, more than moves into the constellation of Cancer for an exciting meeting with Beehive Cluster. On the 13th or 14th of June, Mars is bracketed by the crescent moon, so looking quite nice, even though it's not really close. It's about a hand span away. It still will look rather nice. And then on the 23rd to 24th, Mars passes directly over the Beehive Cluster. Now, although the stars of the Beehive Cluster are technically visible to the unaided eye, because those stars are about magnitude 6 and because they'll be relatively close to the horizon when the sky is fully dark, you're going to need unobstructed horizon and binoculars to clearly see, but Mars passing directly over the Beehive Cluster will look very nice indeed. And if you've got a small telescope, uh, you should be able to do some imaging of Mars in the Beehive Cluster. And then Mars moves on from Cancer and doesn't have any more interesting encounters this month. Now, Jupiter and Saturn, which have been dominating the morning sky, are now visible in the late evening sky. Telescopically, they're still going to be best in the early morning when they're at their highest. But Saturn can be easily seen from 11pm from the beginning of June and becomes easier and easier to see as the month goes on. Now, Jupiter is readily visible around midnight at the beginning of the month. And again, it becomes easier and easier to see as the month wears on. Now, on the 1st, Jupiter is just a hand span from the waning moon. It will look rather nice, but again, you have to be up about midnight to see this or uh, up early on the morning of the, of the 2nd. And then again on the 28th, Jupiter and the, the waning moon are close, and Saturn is also less than a hand span from the waning moon on the 27th. So you get to see the moon visiting uh, the bright planets uh, twice uh, this month. Lovely. Yeah, it'll be very lovely indeed. So that's, that's, that's the... the Evening sky, it's, we're going to be seeing a lot of the action uh, uh, this month. Not necessarily spectacular, but it will be quite pleasant. Uh, and the morning sky still got a lot of interest. So Mercury is returning to the morning twilight for mid-month. It's, uh, although it's still uh, above the horizon when June starts, it's so low and in the twilight you just can't see it. So it's going to return to the morning twilight by mid-month, but it's really only visible in the last week of June uh, below the bright red star Aldebaran. So you'll be able to see it, say, up to an hour before sunrise, directly below Aldebaran, so it'll make a very nice viewing in the early morning.
Now, as I said, Saturn and Jupiter still dominate the morning sky. When the sun rises, they're still visible above the western horizon. About both of their highest above the northern horizon in the early morning, starting off around about three o'clock for Saturn at the beginning of the month, and then moving up to around about one o'clock by the end of the end of the month. So again, uh, although we can see them nicely in the early uh, evening. If you want to do some nice telescope imaging, you have to get up in the cold and the dark of the early morning to get the best telescopic images. Well, despite the cold, Ian, in wintertime, we're coming into that season where we have nice, crisp skies with not much dust in the atmosphere and not much thermal interference. Yeah, oh, look, it's absolutely perfect. Not, oh, Again, I'm talking about our telescopes, but just also with the, with the unaided eye, the stars are just really clear. The planets will be really clear whether you're using unaided eye, binoculars or telescopes. So it's a wonderful time. I just want to reiterate that the moon is going to be visiting these planets again in the end of the month. So the 26th, the waning moon forms a line with Jupiter and Saturn. On the 27th, the moon's close to Saturn. And then on... The 28th, the moon's uh, near to Jupiter. And then on 29th, the moon again is forming a line. So on the 26th, the line was moon, uh, Saturn, Jupiter. Now it's uh, on the 29th, it's Jupiter, Saturn, moon. So the, watching the moon climb down the planets will be very nice, both in the late evening and the early morning. A good photographic challenge for people. A very good photographic challenge for people indeed. Now, I, I, I mentioned the stars again, and you said how, how it's so crisp and clear and dust-free, and the centre of the galaxy is beginning to rise. But I'm going to turn again to uh, something I talked about in the April WhatsApp. And uh, remember Orion? Orion was uh, dominating our skies in the, in the summer and lurking around the horizon in uh, autumn. It's now setting in the west, and Orion's nemesis, Scorpius, the Scorpion, is now easily visible in the east. And so at astronomical twilight, when the sky is fully dark, and this is about an hour and a half after sunset, it's readily visible. Orion's right on the horizon, and Scorpius is about four handspans above the horizon, really easy to see. And this is now an excellent time to see the Emu. Now, of course, I've discussed it already uh, in April, but I'm going to reiterate this because of exactly what you said about the sky being so crisp and clear and dust-free. So again, I'll remind you that the EMU is one of the indigenous Australian constellations, being a dark constellation that's made up almost entirely of dust lanes. So it consists of the coal sack. That's the head of the EMU just below the Southern Cross. And then there's dust lanes. The dust lanes running down from the coal sack form the neck of the EMU. Then the curl of stars of the body of Scorpio is the uh, fringe, of, fringe of feathers. And then the, there's another dust lane that forms the lower legs. Now, back in April, you had to wait up late in, the, uh, late in the evening in order to see this. But now in June, you'll be able to see this almost as soon as the sky gets dark. Uh, so again, clear, crisp skies, beautiful sight right on your horizon, as soon as the sky gets dark, well worth going out and having a look. Check out the emu. Definitely check out, out the emu. And of course, Scorpius itself has a number of interesting small clusters. And below the sting of the scorpion, 
is a number of iconic nebula, which are very easy to see in dark sky sites with the unaided eye or with binoculars. So well worth checking out and, uh, around the time of the new moon, which I'll remind you is around June the 8th. So earlier this month, take that opportunity to, to have a look at that, have, have a look at the sky at the new moon. Very good. I don't remember when school holidays start. They start fairly soon. But if you're going uh, camping in that, that, uh, in around about the time of the new moon, first quarter moon, again, that, that's a good time to, with, if you're out with your kids to go and, uh, go and have a good look at the sky. Fantastic. Now, Ian, do you have a tangent for us for the month of June? I have, I have a tangent. In fact, this is a tangent which environment there's still the continuing saga of the helicopters on Mars, heavy metals in comets, and sealed telescopes. Yes, seals in the sea, the ones in the sea that, uh, that use telescopes. So I'll talk about that one next month in July. Wow. I'm going to talk about, yeah, wow, indeed. When I read it, read, first read it, I thought, okay, this has to be a tangent. But I'm going to talk about shadows this time. Now, of course, we've just had a really good view of Earth's shadow with the total eclipse of the moon. And uh, for those of you who uh, couldn't see it, it was absolutely fantastic. And those of you who could see it, oh, wasn't it wonderful to share that? Now, we don't normally think of Earth's shadow, after all. How can you see black on black? But uh, roughly twice a year, we have a chance to see it when the moon passes through Earth's shadow. Now, as I said, uh, when we are talking uh, in the uh, eclipse, uh, about the eclipse last uh, time, Earth's shadow is not a crisp circle. Like if you hold a shadow of a, a, an orange up in front of a light bulb, you'll get a relatively crisp shadow. But unlike the orange, Earth has an atmosphere which bends and scatters the light. So our shadow is fuzzy. So it's got a darker inner part, the umbra, and a less dark outer part, uh, the penumbra. And because of scattered light, it never goes completely dark. Those of you who have had the opportunity to see the uh, eclipse during totality will notice that the, the uh, uh, moon was a deep coppery red colour. It never goes completely uh, dark. Uh, even when it goes through the darkest part of the Earth's shadow, there's still that faint uh, luminosity about it from the scattered light from Earth. Yep. Now, Earth's shadow is projected onto the ecliptic, but, but that's basically Earth's orbit. So you'd expect the shadow of Earth to be going out uh, where the ecliptic is. And of course, as the shadow goes further away, uh, the actual angle uh, of arc that it subtends is much smaller. So at the uh, distance of the moon, the shadow, the whole shadow is about uh, 2.5 degrees across. That's a little bit over two finger widths. And the inner darker part of the shadow is about one and a half degrees, about just under two finger widths. Now, given that the moon is about half a finger width in diameter, and also given that uh, the moon is uh, not always close to the ecliptic, uh, you don't often have a chance to see the moon uh, going through Earth's shadow. In fact, generally, there's two chances to see the moon encounter the shadow. So the moon's orbit, as I said, is an, an angle to the ecliptic. But when the moon occupies the uh, notional meeting point between the where the, uh, the moon's orbit crosses the ecliptic, the so-called node, then the moon can encounter the Earth's shadow. However, of course, that depends on the timing 
as we know that the Earth, because the, uh, the the moon, if you can think of as a in uh, a a clock, but a clock that ticks at a very variable rate. It's not well; it's not a variable rate because its uh, rate is not a whole number of orbits. It will drift with respect to uh, where the nodes are, so the, the full moon will not necessarily occupy fully occupy a node every year. So uh, sometimes it will skim the shadow because, of course, the shadow is relatively small and the moon is relatively small. Sometimes it goes through the deepest part of the shadow. Back in 2019, we had the longest eclipse for a century, or it skims uh, uh, through the, the deepest part of the shadow. So we had a very short totality of only 80 minutes this May. Or again, if it skims even further out, you get a partial eclipse such as 2019. And sometimes only it skims through the very outer part of the shadow, the penumbra. And all the eclipses in 2020 were uh, these penumbral eclipses. So again, the, the opportunities occur when the uh, moon is uh, passing through the nodes, and this can occur roughly between November to January and May to July. However, in 2020, there are actually four penumbral eclipses. I won't discuss the geometry and timing of these rather, to, rather than bore people. But if we think only about the uh, Earth's shadow, in terms of uh, lunar eclipses, we uh, tend to forget other ways we can see the shadow. And actually, of course, lunar eclipses are quite spectacular, but you can potentially see Earth's shadow every evening. At the distance to low Earth orbit, the shadow is much bigger, and every night approximately one satellite or more will pass into Earth's shadow. Of course, boringly, most of these are quite dim, and uh, many are just on the limit of visibility from suburbs. So seeing the wink out, you actually uh, have some effort. I get on going to promote the heavens above site uh, for um, seeing satellites. Uh, it will give you good local uh, information. But some satellites are quite spectacular. For example, the International Space Station. Space, the International Space Station can be almost as bright as Venus. And you can sometimes see it wink out as it goes into Earth's shadow or sometimes we, uh, wink in as it comes, comes out from Earth's shadow. Uh, more right, rarely, it brightens uh, again as it exits, so, exits the shadow. So you see it wink out as it goes in the shadow, and then you see it wink in as it comes out of the shadow. Uh, it, this is much uh, rarer because it requires a, a special geometry of the uh, ISS orbit to the position of the shadow in the sky. Sure. Now, the ISS has been joined by Tiani-1, the Chinese space station, while it's not as bright as the International Space Station, it's still uh, one of the brightest objects in the sky uh, in terms of satellites and space stations. And if you get up early in the next few mornings in Australia, you can see both the ISS and uh, Tiani exit Earth's shadow. Unfortunately, not, neither the ISS or the Tiani are present in the sky at the same time. But on consecutive nights, you've got uh, the uh, Tiani one, and then you have for then when, when Tiani one goes into the uh, evening sky, you've got the ISS taking over. As well as also the secret space plane X-37B, the not-so-secret space plane X-37B, which is also one of the relatively bright objects in the uh, sky, and it too has frequent encounters with Earth's shadow. 
So again, I, I recommend uh, going to heavens above and following up these objects. Uh, they can be uh, quite fascinating to watch them pop in and pop out of the shadow of Earth every so often. And of course, one of the reasons uh, early on uh, where the Starlink satellites were dismissed by the promoters as being serious issues for light pollution was the claim they'd be mostly hidden by Earth's shadow. Well, that worked out well, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, I've concentrated uh, on Earth's shadow, rolling eclipses and uh, causing satellites to blink out. But of course, Earth's not the only um, planet to cast a shadow. Uh, and of course, other important planetary shadows are Saturn, which casts its shadow on the rings. And you can, uh, at the moment, if you're looking at Saturn through a telescope, you can see quite a nice shadow of Saturn uh, on the rings itself. Uh, it's, and that's uh, one of the more beautiful sights. But probably what you're not, uh, people not entirely familiar with is the effect of uh, Jupiter's shadow on its satellites. So uh, whereas we can see uh, eclipses of uh, Earth's moon uh, in Earth's shadow, the eclipses of Jupiter's moon by Jupiter's shadow uh, occurs a, a little bit more frequently. So if you've got uh, a telescope and you're making a, uh, or even a decent binoculars, and you're making frequent observations of, of Jupiter and its satellites, you can see uh, a number of eclipses where the Galilean moons uh, will just blink out or blink in when they come out from without, come, go into or without the shadow. So, for example, in June, there's uh, a number of, of eclipses of Io, Europa, Ganymede and Callisto which I uh, won't go into in any detail. Again, if you've got uh, access to uh, a number of uh, ephemerises, you can uh, uh, read those yourself. But there's, as a spectacle, for even in small telescopes, watching Jupiter's moons blink out uh, as they enter Jupiter's shadow or blink in as they exit uh, Jupiter's shadow is uh, a a little bit of a challenge and uh, and quite interesting. So another another good thing that you can uh, do with only minimal equipment. You don't really need uh, fantastic gear to see Jupiter's moons get eclipsed. Fantastic. It is indeed. Now, I could say a lot more about shadows, but my friend Alice Gorman, Dr. Space Junk, has an ex excellent essay on shadows in the uh, online magazine, The Conversation. So if you just Google... Uh, Dr. Space Junk Shadows and, and the Conversation. Please go and, and have a read. It's an excellent piece. And also please support the conversation as a, uh, uh, an independent piece of journalism written by specialists uh, who uh, really bring uh, issues out with a sharp focus. As very science savvy, let me say. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And so the message is... Step outside, the nights are clear and lovely. Check out what's up there, especially now that you know when and what to look for. Check out heavensabove.com and also book to space jump. Indeed, indeed. You can't go wrong. And of course, uh, next month we're going to talk about seal telescopes.
Oh, look, my daughter will go berserk over that. She loves seals. <laughs> oh, it, it's, uh, yeah, it'll be fantastic. It'll be really interesting. Fantastic, Ian. Well, thank you very much, Ian. It's been wonderful speaking with you again. Have a great month. Step outside and look up. I will indeed. Thank you very much. And it's a pleasure to be able to help people navigate the night sky. Good night, mate. Good night, mate. You too. And remember, Astrophys is free and unsponsored. And we're very happy to recommend that you can always get the latest and best space news from Rami Mandal at spaceaustralia.com. We'll see you in two weeks. Radio Wave.